Welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Gonzalez Cumberbatch, and I know firsthand that it takes a village to raise a child, but most importantly, that it takes a village to uplift a mother. A mother's village is necessary and can take up many forms. Consider this podcast as part of your motherhood village. No matter the season of motherhood you're in, every conversation will give you more tools to add to your parenting toolbox, and you'll feel supported, inspired, and uplifted. So let's get into an informative and empowering conversation. Hello, and welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I am on with a very special guest. I have Scott J. Brooke, who is the mayor for the city of Coral Springs, and he's a renowned family law attorney and who was sworn in for an additional term as mayor on November 19th of 2020. Scott is a father of five, a grandfather of four, and is a big advocate for mental wellness and veterans. He is serving in fourth as the mayor of the award-winning city of Coral Springs, which is the city that I live in, and the Mental Wellness Networking Alliance, founded by Scott J. Brooke, is a 501c3 that formed shortly after the tragic suicides that occurred after the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting. As Scott had lost his own mother to suicide at only 23 years old, he was compelled to contribute to our community to save lives and break the stigma surrounding mental illness. The MWNA aims to improve our community by connecting those suffering from mental illness to resources within the community that can help them, as well as working tirelessly to change the language used during mental health conversations. The MWNA's goal is to connect the community, break the stigma, and provide those in need with the necessary resources to help improve their mental wellness. Mayor Scott Brooke, it is a pleasure to have you on. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. It's great to be here. And you gave a great opening about MWNA. I'm glad you're recording it because I want to share it with other people. Yes, no, absolutely. And I know our conversation is going to lead into mental illness, mental wellness, as you so eloquently put it, of how you're trying to break the stigma. But before we get into that, I like to ask some icebreaker round questions. Do you have a favorite book or one you'd like to recommend or one that you've read throughout your life that you tell people that they should read? So... I have a favorite fiction book and a favorite nonfiction book. Okay. My favorite fiction uh, is called Beach Music. Mm-hmm. And the author of that is the same author of Prince of Tides. Okay. And you can read it and then taste the salt off the ocean breeze as you're reading what he wrote. Wow. Uh, just cool. uh, Pat Conroy is the author. Great fiction book. And. Uh, for me, the greatest nonfiction book uh, that has helped me throughout the years is by Anthony Robbins called Unlimited Power. Mm. And maybe the most powerful chapter of that book is chapter three called State of Mind. Oh. So those are my two biggest recommendations for my two favorite books. Thank you. What are the values that guide you and that guide you and your family? Uh, the values that guide me and my family uh, include honesty, integrity, love, uh, openness, non-judgment, and forgiveness. Love it. How has fatherhood transformed you? Great. It's a great question. Uh, being a dad is my favorite role um, for all of my five children. I met my first three children through my wife, Brenda. They're hers and Mark's. Mm-hmm. And then when I married Brenda back in 97, uh, they became mine, uh, you know, so I helped raise them, and uh, they were three of the reasons I married my wife. We have two of our own biologically, AJ and Samantha, 
And uh, fatherhood has transformed me because to have a commitment to five other, other individuals outside of myself that I got to help formulate their thinking, their values, how they communicate, uh, how they get educated and how they share. Uh, it's been an incredible blessing. So it, it has, and, and even now, my youngest is 21. Uh, it's still my favorite role in life. No slight to my wife, no slight <laughs> to our city, but my favorite role is being a dad. Pretty cool. And what are the ages? Uh, 21, oh. 23, 30. 34 and 36. Wow. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely got to be. I always say the, the, the parents that I know that have, you know, children that are much older than my son, my son is only four. So I'm the newbie of this whole parenting thing. I yeah. always commend because I'm like, I am I, with one. I'm like, whew. So anyone that has more than one, anyone that has older, <laughs> get you get the bow down you and you Thank so you. awesome. Okay. So it does take a village to raise a child. So who has had the most impact on your life throughout you being a father? Um, and what have you learned and applied? And, you know, the village can take many resources. It could be people. I always say my podcast is a resource for moms, fathers as well. You know, what has been um, influential as your village or for you and your wife as you raise your children together? Uh, influential in our village has certainly been other family members, uh, including my sister, Joanne, my sister-in-law, Diane, my daughter-in-law, Corey. Um, in terms of the community, uh, I'd say, you know, there are a lot of givers here. One of my biggest passions has been to be a mentor to the youth here in our community. And being a mentor to youth has you know, made me a better dad. Uh, so I started something about 20 years ago called Project Leadership, and I couldn't have done or be doing Project Leadership now and helping to mentor over 2,000 kids without people like Judy Kissel, Morella Villavicencio, uh, David Pollack, and many other mentors over the years uh, that wanted to give back to our youth. And, you know, they've had a big impact on my family. And and I'd say something else, which happens to be uh, timely today, because I just came from a cake party uh, for our chief of police here, mm -hmm. Chief uh, Clyde Perry. Retiring, yeah. And, you know, we've raised five children here in Coral Springs, and they all have felt safe. So to raise children in a community that feels safe, where we're the 13th safest city in the nation as uh, late as this past January, uh, I'd say our police department has had a big impact on my family feeling safe here in our community. Wow, that's a that's a very good point. And I love always asking that question because, you know, you think of your village as someone, you know, maybe your parents or the extra, but it can be anyone that your child or that you and your partner, or if it's you, if you're a single parent, comes across that helps you in whatever aspect that is. So that's a very good point. Okay, so now let's get into the meat and potatoes. So you are a lawyer, you are the mayor of Coral Springs, but you are a big advocate for mental wellness. Why don't you speak on maybe some high level, what inspired you to become a lawyer and start your own law firm, just very high level, because that is a part of what you do within the community. Um, sure. And you know what made you go into local politics, but then we'll discuss true, truly what made you have, or what has made you become such an advocate for the mental health and the mental wellness community. So, you know, high level, uh, my mom was just a, an incredibly loving, giving, unselfish person uh, who taught me a lot about service. And while I didn't see her necessarily be part of the community to be on the board of something, 
or create a board of her own, uh, I saw how she gave to our family, my father, the friends that we would bring over, the relatives that we'd bring over. And as I was, um, I'd say, growing up over the years, uh, I really wanted to do something that I could give back to the community and possibly be a voice. I, I hadn't wanted to be a lawyer until actually after business school. Uh, but what really had me decide that I'd like to become an advocate uh, for people is over the years, I saw so many people not really being able to vocalize for themselves what it is that they wanted, what it is that they needed, and, and potentially, you know, ask for assistance. So I had decided I had a great experience with two big law firms in New York City. I said, this is, you know, definitely for me, I definitely want to give back as a lawyer, as an advocate, somebody that can maybe even change some laws, make some laws. And I was always interested in research. So research is a big part of being an attorney. And while I hadn't wanted to become an attorney while I was a young person, uh, after I graduated from my MBA from Tulane University and gave law a shot in a temporary capacity, I said, this is definitely something I'm more interested in. Stayed as a paralegal for a big New York City law firm and thankfully got into University of Miami Law School. And here I am 30 years after graduation and I'm litigating. Wow. And what's the what's your in that interest or your field of study or what's your expertise in, I should say? <laughs> so my primary focus area is family law. Oh, okay. So I help people through tough times, divorce, child support, uh, alimony modification, mm -hmm. uh, domestic violence. Uh, that's what we do here in Coral Springs, really throughout the state of Florida. Now that so much is on Zoom mm -hmm. and I am an advocate, as I had wished. Uh, for people, especially those committed parents yeah. that really want to see the best for their children and not necessarily focus so much on the fight that they have had with their ex. 100%. Okay. Do you want to also discuss maybe how you got into local politics and what made you want to run for the city of Coral Springs, if you want to highlight? Yeah, the, the long story, much shortened, is when I was divorced from my first wife, single living on the beach in Hollywood in 1995 or 96, for some reason, it came to me about what I want to do next in my life in terms of the community. And I thought, man, I don't know my mayor. I don't know my state representative. I don't know my city commissioners. And none of them knew me. So I decided I'm going to blame half of it on them. I'll take the other half to blame. And I decided to make a commitment that I'll run for office someday, somehow, somewhere. And I'd be an advocate. I'd be a connector. And I'd certainly be an educator about government. Because there I was in Hollywood, I had a JD. I mean, at that time, did I have my JD? Yeah, had my JD, had my MBA, so two advanced degrees, and uh, politics was still relatively foreign to me. So I decided, well, let me take the brunt of that, make something happen, and then if I became an elected official, I'm going to start educating people about government. And then when my wife and her three kids decided to accept me into their home, try me out before I married their mom. I passed. They happened to live in Coral Springs. And uh, four years after that, I ran for city commission. And five years after that, I won. Wow. And then the rest is history. Here you are. Yes. That's, that's awesome. Um, okay. So now, we'll, now we will pivot into the meat and potatoes of it all. So you started the Mental Wellness Network Alliance. Um, and I would imagine, I know it was due in large part to the tragic um, shooting at Marjorie Stroman Douglas. 
but I know you also have, um, you know, your own history with it, with your own mother committing suicide at, um, I think you were 23 years old, you know, at such a young age. I was. So let's talk about that, I guess, twofold. One, how did losing your mother at such a young age impact you? Um, how have you learned to deal with loss? And now let's go, gosh, however many years later, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas happens. What was that like for you to kind of experience that all over again? So why don't you kind of unpack so, a lot of that? Yeah. So my initial experience was uh, shock, you know, numb, disbelief. Mm -hmm. uh, thankfully, shortly thereafter, I wound up actually having a job traveling across the country as a motivational speaker to youth uh, in colleges and universities. So that helped remove me from the physical place where I had lost my mom in such a tragic way. Uh, with time, with therapy, with family, with love, and with work that was purposeful, um, I definitely healed quite a bit. Um, and coming all the way to February 14 of 2018, at that time I had been out of office uh, for about eight years and just focused on my family practice and my family. And um, that night I happened to see a Facebook post by my friend Fred that he and his wife were looking for their daughter. Uh, and, and that was after my phone had all these texts earlier in the day a lot of information was still coming through. So you don't know the extent of the devastation, you know, at 7.30 or 8 that evening. Uh, and then I began to know it. I think Fred returned my call or answered my call uh, about 8.15, 8.30 that night. And uh, he said, my, my daughter's dead. Oh, God. And uh, just uh, broke me. And, um, you know, I, I, I knew at that time I was going to somehow be a part of our community healing. I uh, wasn't sure how that would occur. And then uh, a year and a month later, I had become the new old mayor of Coral Springs. I got elected March 12 of 2019. Uh, I had taken the place of Skip Campbell. He died prematurely. He was our mayor. He was an awesome public servant for many, many years. I got sworn in March 19. And uh, that Saturday night, March 23rd, about 11.30, I got a text from my city manager saying that we had lost our second teenager to suicide as a result of what they witnessed uh, at Stoneman Douglas and experienced since then. And that was the second teenager in one week. So I decided, you know, now's the time to do something different. Um, I took on a couple of different projects at the time, but one of them was to create this mental wellness networking alliance. Mm -hmm. And I asked for support from other community leaders. We decided, uh, I decided not to push the issue at the city and really just do this on my own and in my individual mm -hmm. capacity. And of course, my initial impetus for that was losing my mom to suicide and having no idea that she was even ill. Yeah. And then when I saw, um, Calvin DeSeer's uh, parents, and he was the second individual we lost to suicide in that week. He was 16 years old, and I saw them at the vigil. You know, I wanted to save lives. I wanted to do what I can to have other parents not experience what these parents have experienced. So with a lot of people in the community, including a good friend of mine, Kimberly Coutinho, 
uh, we decided having these monthly meetings. Uh, Keller Williams and Scott Bagoon opened up their doors here in Sample and University. Mm -hmm. And we began having very open, loving conversations about mental illness and how can we resolve uh, the challenges that those who have with suffer from anxiety or depression or you know, have somebody in our family with bipolar. And uh, we have helped change lives. We've helped save lives. And we have definitely been working on breaking the stigma uh, here in Broward County. And hopefully it'll go way beyond Broward County. I've been um, privileged and honored to have attended one of the sessions. Um, I myself, thank God, have never experienced um, having thoughts of suicide. However, after my son was born, I did suffer from postpartum anxiety um, and never thought I had anything remotely, you know, separation anxiety or any thoughts truthfully about something happened to my, something happening to my son, something happening to me, like a lot of death, just I was experiencing a lot of thoughts of loss of what if something were to happen to my child or myself. But being a part of um, that meeting, it was so, so very powerful. And I know you, you stated, and this has been going now, so if look at the timeline from when you officially started 2019, so about three years right from reception yeah. so then we have the pandemic what did you see during the pandemic obviously i'm assuming or not obviously but i'm assuming you had to pivot and do a lot of these meetings online did you feel a sense of oh no like how is this going to affect the community members that were coming to this meeting that needed that interaction and now we can't come together what was that like going through that process so we we were very fortunate uh we pivoted very well i had a couple of people that were involved early on uh, a therapist and a friend of hers up in orlando and we actually had our first zoom meeting shortly after covid and we also streamed live on facebook so during that meeting we actually connected with about 750 people mm. uh, instead of the normal 40 to 60 people that were, um, you know, coming live to Keller Williams. And that was quite a blessing. And then as time went on, uh, people really needed these Zoom meetings because they weren't meeting in person. Mm -hmm. And we would generally share openly and candidly enough uh, to feel enough connection uh, on the call, on the Zoom call. And um, it was it was a great way to pivot. I think a lot of people uh, got the help that they needed to some extent sure. during those calls. We would generally have at least two or three therapists that would join us on the Zoom calls as they would normally join us live at Keller Williams. And uh, that evolved into some other ideas that I wound up implementing as the mayor for community conversations on Zoom. And it really, I think, helped our community uh, go through COVID with some more love, with some more connection than they may have otherwise gone through it. And, you know, I know you had mentioned with your mom, you had no idea, correct? Looking back in hindsight, no idea. come blindside you where, did you, did your family ever talk about mental health? It was anything like, what was that like that it just came out and then tie it to how with the Mental Wellness Networking Alliance, is just having conversations like this truthfully the start of it all of even talking about it and giving people a safe space yeah i i think um so many people have either knowingly or unknowingly chosen silence mm. 
because of shame or embarrassment or whatever it might be, uh, but ultimately it's related to the stigma uh, that has existed for so long about somebody having mental illness. What's interesting is during COVID, more people experience anxiety or depression for the first time. Mm -hmm. So I wound up experiencing anxiety and depression for the first time actually after I lost my dad, however many years after losing my mom. So I went through a very rough time shortly after losing my mom, but in all honesty, I didn't deal with it fully until after I lost my dad many, many years later. And of course, I couldn't understand or really appreciate anxiety or depression until I experienced it. And I have a feeling that that's the case for many, many people. With the dialogues that we're having uh, with MWNA, we are providing a safe space for people to share what what has been so for them, what is so for them, and to seek solutions. And in and of itself, the meeting is a resource because here you're with other people and you don't feel alone. Here you're with other people that have experienced the same thing you're going through, might even be including the loss of a child. Mm -hmm. And to be around other people that can get you because they've had a similar experience, to me, there's nothing like it. And to me, as one of the leaders of MWNA and as the founder, uh, when I'm at these meetings, whether it's by Zoom or in person, that's part of therapy for me. And I'm giving back in a way, not just sharing the resources, but also here as a survivor of losing to somebody to such a tragedy and still being able to have a full, blessed life. So as I share, I have a hole. Uh, nobody can you know, fill that hole all the way uh, because of how I lost my mom. Uh, but in time, I've learned to, you know, carry her lessons, carry her love, sure. have a full life with, you know, a wife I love, five beautiful kids, four amazing grandsons, mm-hmm. a city that I love being the mayor of, a great family practice, and, you know, meeting people like you that give back in our community. It's awesome. That's awesome. So what, you know, I know you mentioned, and in that meeting, you had mentioned mental wellness. A lot of it is you speak on a mental wellness why is it important to shift from saying just mental illness but truthfully also working on our mental wellness so most people don't like to talk about negative things Mm -hmm. Uh, they find it uh, either depressing and or confrontational but most people like to talk about positive things and a lot of how i believe we need to deal with mental illness is to flip the dialogue So even uh, my friend, Carrie Russo, a therapist in Orlando, she would talk about PTSD as being an injury that you can heal from, Mm. as opposed to being a disease that is a life sentence. Uh, I like that. We now talk about somebody dying by suicide instead of committing suicide Mm. as though they were in their right mind and had a choice. Everybody wants mental wellness and more and more people are less afraid to talk about mental illness, but who's afraid to talk about mental wellness? Mm -hmm. And then even recently, I went to the US Conference of Mayors in Reno, Nevada, and uh, the incoming president, the mayor of Reno suggested, what if it was just health? Mm -hmm. What if our health encompassed mental health and we didn't divide it, physical health and mental health? 
So I thought, you know, that's a, that's a great vision. You know, how's your health? And when we ask that, it's not just about how you, how's your shoulder, how's your arm, how's your mind, how's your heart? It's crazy that in 2022 that we have these conversations now. Like I think back, um, you know, my, my father has suffered great loss throughout his life. Um, my mom, death has surrounded me a lot um, in various ways since I was very young. And I'm like, God, what did my parents have? What did they do? You know, they, we didn't have these kind of conversations. So it's still mind boggling. It's, it's great that there is that, you know, that we're, 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 we're doing these things, but I'm like, you know, why was there such like, yeah, we, when we think of health back then, or even still some people now you think of, yeah, you're physical, but no one's thinking like, well, how am I mentally? You know, what did that look like for me? So I am so thankful that we are having these conversations, um, especially because I think there there are things that we're dealing with in the world that are very tough. There's wars, our children are gaining more access. We even have more access to things than we never had access to before, right? Right. information overload obviously the unfortunate tragedy now with Uvalde, the Buffalo shooting, all of these different things. And to me, I think it's now more than ever to kind of check in and see where we are. So I love how the, the two ways of saying, okay, let's look at it as the mental wellness aspect, but let's also just look at it as, as being healthy from our mind, our body, our soul, our spirit, and everything coming together. I want to ask you, what are some misconceptions about people suffering from mental illness? Oh, so one of the biggest is... Well, they're choosing to stay that way. Mm. I'd say another misconception is even having anxiety or depression as a choice. Uh, and it's not a choice. It's not a choice. It's an illness. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be devastating. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't require the judgment uh, that so many people place on it, which has people then not be open about what they have or what a family member has. Uh, so those are two very common ones. And another misconception, I believe, is you is a lot of people think that they are defined by their illness. And I don't think so at all. I, I think more people are defined much more by their actions than they are by a characteristic or an illness that they have. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't look at my friend, you know, Lori per se as having cancer. I look at my friend Lori as just this amazing, you know, woman, amazing mom, amazing leader in our community. Uh, I don't look at a buddy of mine and say, oh, that's blank and he has depression. Yeah. I know he has depression. But I look at him as a pioneer, as a leader, as a person that gives love and, you know, gives ideas and shares resources. And I think a lot of times people think, well, if I say that I have depression, it means I am a depressed person. And a buddy of mine has said, hey, just because I have mental illness doesn't mean the mental illness has me. Mm. You know, it's an aspect of me and it is at the moment, uh, but I'm not going to let it define me. Sure. And I think if we stopped allowing uh, people to define us that way, you know, you can't, I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt that we can't feel inferior without our own consent. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you can have a mental illness. You can have bipolar and live and have a great life as opposed to having a sentence mm -hmm. that has you limit your life and, and limit your living. And uh, these conversations are just so important. 
I'm hoping that I can share enough of my resources and what I've done here in the community with other mayors across the country. Uh, I plan to be a leader on the mental health team for the U.S. Conference of Mayors. And our city itself is doing great steps in mental wellness for our employees, including uh, there's a peer support program mm -hmm. and including where people have no copay uh, to see a psychologist. And I know you didn't, I attended um, one of the commission meetings, didn't, um, the month of May, I know is Mental Wellness Awareness Month. And you, um, tell, talk a little bit about that, about what the city of Coral Springs did. Didn't we like specifically do something regarding that? <laughs> Yeah, so we, uh, so September is Suicide Prevention Month, uh, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So we definitely capitalize on those months to share education uh, with our community. And again, to help move the needle to break or eliminate the stigma. So recently we were actually featured on WSVN Channel 7 uh, with our BHAP program. It's called Behavioral Health Access Program where we actually have three psychologists that uh, work with us essentially around the clock uh, and that they're available for 850, 900 plus employees, yeah. whether or not they're first responders. And in this, um, in this session that um, WSVN came to City Hall for, we had two first responders speak openly about their prior struggles mm -hmm. and the solutions that they employed to be as healthy as they are today. And, you know, those are two uh, examples of somebody that normally takes so much pride in, you know, being strong and tough and not necessarily sharing negative emotions. Hey, it, we're all human. You know, if you're, if you're a top cop, you're human, you know, and, and really we experienced an incredible tragedy in our community. You know, we lost 17 people and another 17 were injured. And uh, if we can't talk about the trauma that we experience, how are we really going to help other people, let alone ourselves? So we got to talk about it. And our city's talking about it. And our city's finding and sharing solutions. And more and more people are becoming more and more open about saying what they have struggled through. I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me once they hear my story for the first time and say, you know what, I've had a similar loss. Yeah, I think it's so profound and it's so true because I think a lot of times going back to your earlier sen sentiments is people suffer in silence and it doesn't have to be that way. Um, or we, we hear a tragedy and we think, okay, well, let's not talk about it for whatever way, either subconsciously or consciously where we don't talk about it, but we have to talk about it. It's the only way that we could release. It's the only way that we can move on. And truthfully, if you don't, then how can you I don't want to say improve, but know better for the next time, like to look back and say, okay, how could, right. there's so much that has to come from those kind of conversations. Um, I can only imagine now with the Uvalde shooting, how maybe that has even brought up a lot of PTSD a lot within our community. Um, for sure. So happy to see that um, Coral Springs um, and, and other areas um, within the state of Florida are coming are, are coming together to do that because truthfully obviously yes we have our main government and a lot of times you know the federal and we want to talk there but to your earlier point when you were living in hollywood and you're like look i don't know my you know i don't know these people who are governing me it's like we have this city of you know that we live in day in and day out that's more important really truthfully than anything right then bring branching off we uh <laughs> We are boots on the ground, my commission and I, you know, our congressmen and state representatives, they're definitely helpful. They're just not here in the community on a day-to-day -day basis. 
nor dealing with a lot of day-to-day -day things. So yeah. in terms of local politics, that's where you're impacted, I believe, the most sure. than you are on any other level. 100%. I have a few more um, questions for you. Number one, how can the community or how do you think the community truly can come together and support mental wellness? So let's say if I'm an outsider or even someone like me never thought, you know, never experienced any kind of thoughts of suicide or anything, I attended a meeting and I was blown away. So maybe that is one way, but any other ways that you can say for people who don't even think they have anything to do with mental wellness, how can they support someone else within the community? So uh, assuming you're not part of our organization, how can you help a fellow person? Yes. Ask them how they're doing. Mm -hmm. Check in on somebody by text. Mm -hmm. So during COVID, I checked in on anywhere from 30 to 70 people every week. Wow whether I was their mayor or friend, you know, or family. And uh, during COVID, I had one person who used to work right next to me, Rebecca Gorchoff, always check on me. Mm -hmm. Once every two weeks, three weeks, hey, mayor, how you doing? Mm -hmm. uh, so check on people, yeah. uh, call people and connect with them. So beyond how their day is, how's life? What's up? and spend maybe a little bit more time listening than you do talking, uh, especially if you are you know, in, in good shape, mentally and physically. And then the flip side of that, if you're not doing great, why not reach out to a friend, a family member, even me, and say, hey, um, I'm having a low moment, a low period, uh, any suggestions? And a lot of times, what I believe what people would like when they're going through a tough time and not necessarily admit it is they would like your presence, mm. even if no words are being said. Mm. So I was at a meeting and one of our board members from MWNA, Guy Drab, he's a veteran, served in our military about 42 years. He's a pastor. He's also a mental health professional. He said one time he was on a ship and he had a sense that there was uh, this uh, young naval officer that was contemplating jumping in the ocean. And he just stood next to him. Just stood next to him for about an hour. I don't remember if he shared that any words in particular were spoken, uh, but I think his presence saved that naval officer's life. So a lot of times it's just a presence. And if you'd like to get involved with my networking alliance, call me, 954-494-9872. Uh, you can look up Mental Wellness Networking Alliance and uh, you'll, you'll see us. I'm pretty sure we have mentalwellnessnetworking.org as our website, but we've changed it so many times <laughs> I haven't memorized it, unfortunately. Well, uh, and in the show notes, so everyone will definitely have access. To great, that. thank you. And we meet the first Tuesday of every month and we have a lot of people that come for the first time and i can guarantee you wherever you are on the mental health spectrum doing great you know doing okay doing poorly there's a space for you there's a community here in northwest broward that wants to lift everybody we want to lift veterans we want to lift youth we want to lift latino males you know hispanic females we, we want to lift and uh when you come to these meetings, you see a community of non-judgers that 
really want to make an impact, even if they're coming primarily for their own purposes. Uh, but when they share about their challenge, they definitely make a difference throughout the room. A hundred percent. And as an outsider, if I can speak on it for a second, I think what blew me away um, and obviously, as someone who's in um, the space of connecting people with my podcast, I'm approaching 100 episodes this week, which is tremendous, of having just open conversations about life, motherhood, and so on. What I loved about the meeting, number one, is that there are people from all walks of life, ages, cultures, races, tall, small, yet whatever there is, that's one. And number two, I really feel conversations connect people and whatever preconceived notions we have by looking at someone because we all have it we all have biases it's just ingrained in us subconsciously uh, you know not um or consciously and then you hear someone speak and then you're like wow i would have never guessed that this particular person so what i found so powerful was that in itself that you can then look and you just have a different perspective on someone and true truly knowing that when you go out in the world as you said if you're going to public so wherever you're going maybe being a little bit kinder to your neighbor because you truly have no idea what somebody is right. inside. So as an outsider, I did wanted to say that because I was blown away at that magnitude of that level of being like, well, I would have never guessed that this particular person had been suffering with mental illness since they were eight years old, right? Yeah. And it just puts a different level. It makes me then think, okay, well, for my son, let me have these conversations from with my son from when he's young. It just it just adds a different level. So thank you for that work that you're doing. I do have one more major question for you. How do you balance serving the community? You're a mayor, you're owning, I'm sure everyone asks you, you're, you know, you own your family law firm, you know, you're a father, husband, grandfather. I know you're committed. We're Facebook friends. I see. How do you balance, or as I say, really juggle? I'm going to say thank you for that. And uh, thank you for your kind words and for allowing me to be on your show. I'm going to say it's between five and seven things. So one is I delegate a lot to really wonderful people. I have great teams at the city, a great team at my law firm, great board members on MWNA and Veterans Networking Alliance. So I have great people I, I work with. Uh, I hardly am ever stressed because I'm either focused on the solution or I give it to God. So I've had an expression for a long time turn your worries into concerns, and then you can address them. And if there's no way you can address it, then hand your worry over to God. I love that. So a third thing is I live a life and I live a daily life of purpose. So having purpose really gives me a lot of energy. Uh, a fourth thing is God. Uh, a fifth factor is really, Nicole, it's our community. Mm -hmm. uh, we live in an incredible community here. Um, we live in a community of givers, of leaders, of wise people, of kind people. You know, even the chief was saying how while there was all this dissension in the nation after the George Floyd murder, uh, we didn't have that dissension here. We had respectful protests on both sides yeah. of the uh, of the aisle, so to speak. And uh, when there was a protest for Black Lives Matter. The police were there and, and giving space and giving respect and dignity. Sure. And I think the same thing the other way the other way around, uh, where there were these protests for the police. And here we live in the 13th, you know, safest city in the nation. Uh, and that's in great part to our police department, but also we have a cooperative community. Sure. 
And, you know, maybe a sixth thing is really being intentional about having balance. Mm -hmm. And the seventh would be being free and comfortable with saying no mm -hmm. and doing so with a smile. So I, I say no regularly. Oh, well, thank you for saying yes to doing this. It's so, so appreciative and I'm honored. Do you have any other final thoughts to the podcast community? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, one of the greatest resources we have in our county is a three digit number. It's called 211. Mm -hmm. uh, it's actually also the suicide prevention hotline. And there are counselors there 24 seven to help somebody in a state of crisis. At 211, there are also many other resources that are shared in terms of housing, uh, unemployment, uh, different resources that are referred to. And you know, the last thing is, uh, if you are in a position where you're thinking, well, it's only me, I feel so alone, isolated, uh, depressed, lonely, you're not alone and you've never been alone. And what if, just what if uh, you reached out to three people, three people that you loved and cared for and were honest with them and you knew, you knew that they wouldn't judge you. Would that make a difference in you reaching out to that person? Uh, and then you can count on me as number four. Uh, so if you're watching this, you know what I've been through. Uh, I've, uh, I'm not a psychologist uh, and I give hugs, I give mental hugs, you know, and and I, and I give uh, words of encouragement because I know what it's like to lose somebody uh, to a suicide. And no matter what you're going through, your family will have a hole that can never be replaced. So it's worth making that call to either a friend, a loved one, me, 211. Uh, it's worth making that call and, and starting to be open about what you're struggling with. Thank you for listening to this impactful episode of the Motherhood Village podcast. Subscribe to my show so you'll never miss a future episode. You may also rate and review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with someone that can use it as part of their motherhood village. Remember, your village can take up many forms and you do not have to do it alone. Connect with me at themotherhoodvillage.com. Blessings to you for love and light.